It is good to be in the Lord's house. Amen. Amen. You know, there are various reasons, certainly, for us to have a joyful heart of celebration of multiple things. However, I'm going to celebrate 87 degrees. I never thought that I would be really excited about 87 degrees, but I'm ecstatic about 87 degrees. Isn't that right? And if you're praying, let's pray for rain. If it, if it soils somebody's vacation for a little while, I'm sorry, but let's just pray for rain. Um, I want to say a very special God bless you to every person, certainly, and then, but, but we have uh, some visitors among us today, and uh, I do always want to encourage, sometimes, as Jay said this week when we were in discussion, we do a poor job of it, don't we, Jay, of, of, of recognizing the visitors in the sense of there's a visitor card, fill it out. And, but we do like to have a record of your visit with us, and would, we would value and appreciate very much that you would fill that card out. should be one in the seat in front of you. If not, there should be one on the foyer table. But we had this discussion this week, and I want to tell you a little bit about it. There are a couple on the, if you turn that visitor card in, you can give it to a pastor, or you can leave it on the seat, or out on the foyer table, it's a little bag that Lexi puts together, and it's a gift bag, and Lexi kind of got her feelings hurt a week or so ago because she was wanting to order cups, that coffee cups that had First Assembly on it to give out. And I didn't let her do that, and she was kind of disappointed. And she said, Pastor Brown, Pastor, well, if you know Lexi, you know. So, and I said, Lexi, if people need a cup of coffee and a cookie, they can go to Jitterbug. If they want a word from God, they can come to First Assembly. And that's really how I feel about it. And uh, however, she can't stand it without putting something in the bag, and she put some uh, pieces of candy in the bag, little Snickers bar Mars, little, little, you know, individual bites. And I was looking this past week, I was looking for, someone was asking some information on the church, like a, a time or something like that, and I said, well, there's probably one right here in this bag. And I looked over in the bag, and somebody had taken the candy out and eaten the candy and put the empty wrapper back in <laughs> Now, can you imagine if you were that visitor that you came to First Assembly? We were so excited. We are so glad you were here. God bless you. There is a special gift in the bag for you and your family. And you get out in the vehicle, and you got empty candy wrappers. So now, I told JoJo about it this past Wednesday, and I said, I said, and when I was telling the story, I said, and some kid took the candy out, and he immediately said, why does it have to be a child? Why does it have to be a kid? And I said, you know what, Joe, I stand corrected. You're exactly right. It could have been Randy Grubbs. <laughs> Where you at, Brother Randy? He's out front. So, okay. <laughs> and uh, so then we blame the security team. So while they're keeping us safe, they get hungry. And, and if I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll just go there. If it's the security team taking it out, you take all the candy that you want out of that bag. Because you're, you're, you're vigilant and we need you. Right? And we need you. And churches in the days ahead, are going to need. And so, we appreciate every person being in service. It's a great day to be in the Lord's house. A little bit of tweaking of the normal, typical Pastoral Brown style of preaching. I'm not going to open with a text of Scripture and even no title today. If you were with us on Wednesday night, as Jason and I were leading the teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, we've kind of a called this uh, Wednesday night studies, um, the, the summer school of the spirit. We've done that before. We want to make sure that we're following some of the original um, vision of the Assemblies of God leaders that believed that it is the responsibility of those that are part of the Assemblies of God to give continual emphasis for the need to seek and to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and also to be recipient of spiritual gifts. The only way to do that is to make sure that at various times that you're encouraging and instructing people. Right, because faith is going to be drawn through the revelation of the Word of God, and so uh, as we were this past week, we were on we're uh, discerning of spirits in First Corinthians chapter number twelve, and the way that we choose to do this is the spiritual gifts that are not defined under Paul's pen in First Corinthians twelve. Then we're leaning towards the experiences and the scriptures. Number one, the scriptures, but sometimes you, you have to take the experiences of people and say, now, where are, how is this being revealed to us? It's not defined, but it's revealed in the word. So how do we kind of, uh, you know, arrive at a place where we could say this is the definition? So we're looking at passages of scripture that we believe bring clarity to the spiritual gifts. And we were at discerning of spirits. We were in a couple of passages and there was such an anointing that was present on Wednesday night, both in prayer and in the time of discussion 
as if there was a stirring in our spirits to be vigilant and to have uh, available to us all the workings of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, as a result of that, I simply told the church family on Wednesday night, I said, if everybody will allow me, then we will just, I'll just pick up this discussion on Sunday morning, because I think we can go farther with it, and that's where I'm at today. So, when I ask you, if you would, one more time to stand up, we will be reading some scriptures here in just a moment, but we just want to honor the Lord, it's our, it's our practice to do so, to honor the Lord by the standing up, and so we're going to pray. I want to ask you, church family, to with me as I pray. Let's pray that God gives us an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. It's a critical time in the history of our nation, but it's even beyond that. In your own personal life, there's a time and a moment for, uh, there's, a, there's a warring spirit, I, I believe, that's present in our culture today, and uh, it's not, we can't be passive, right? And so we have to, we have to be vigilant, and we have, to be, uh, uh, we have to be responsive, and sometimes you have to be assertive. And I believe we're right at that, at that place. So let's pray. Father, I love you, and I'm very humbled to be in the midst of such a, a tremendous group of men and women. And I thank God for every person, those that are so faithful. Father, more faithful than any uh, father in, in, that has ever been in my family. There is just faithfulness in this church family. And then those that have walked in the door today for the very first time, God, what a privilege it was to meet some of them in the foyer and to thank them for being here. But God, at the, at the, at the end of this, though, we, we, we arrive at a place where we say, Father, we're, we're here today to see if you're speaking to us. Can you take a message that, that, that you've given me and can that become, Father, a broken bread today? Can this be something that's been broken for the people to receive? Can it be a, a word in season, Father, for he that is weary? Can it be the, the lifting of the veil, God? Can, through what I preach and minister today, can people have that true revelation of Jesus Christ? Can they, even beyond that, Father, can, can they see into the spirit world? Can we have a discerning of spirits, God? Can we, uh, so many things, God, that can come forth out of this message today that's totally dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, Father. Without it, we are but a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But today, God, we're going to trust in your anointing. Come on, somebody, pray it with me today. The anointing that breaks the yoke. Come on, the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all of God's children say with me, amen and amen. So in this particular context today, with spiritual gifts, we arrived at that place where we were examining the discerning of spirits. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and uh, it's typically defined as the ability to see into the spirit world. How many of you believe that beyond the existence that we have right here on the earth, not necessarily I'm talking about in another world beyond, way beyond the, the horizon, I'm talking about simply beyond the natural world that we dwell in right here, right now, present among us is another dimension where there's life in that dimension as well, and there's movement, and there's persons and personhoods, and there's activities in those dimensions. Do y'all believe that today? I, I believe that with all of my heart today. And, and as an end result, it, the discerning of spirits is when God, in His sovereign grace, simply allows an individual uh, to, to see into the spirit world, to see and to see what the activity, and sometimes to detect the original source of something that might be happening because sometimes things take place that are in the natural realm, the natural world, and, and there can be a spiritual cause behind it. Now, I do believe that some things are simply just natural. I do believe there are things that just happen. If a, if a tree limb falls from the tree in the woods because the storm blew through, I don't know whether you were here or not. We've never answered that question from grade school. However... I, I don't necessarily think that a devil had to land on the end of that tree limb for the limb to fall. So it was a natural. But, but there are some things that happen in the natural world that there's a demonic force or a spirit of some type, some type of activity behind it. And when we're dealing with things in our life, sometimes you need a moment where God simply un, he unveils for us and allows us to see. And so what we chose to do is we went to a passage of Scripture that we felt like could begin to highlight this. And this was in Acts chapter number 13 from the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. 
And then into Acts chapter number 16, especially in Acts chapter number 16. But in Acts chapter number 13 is where I'm going to commence here today because uh, I, there's a couple of thoughts that I just feel like that I need to make note of here today because I'm telling you there's a stirring in our hearts and you don't have to, we don't have to pretend that in the backdrop of my preaching today is in my heart and in my spirit the uh, the the. the the results of the, the Supreme Court decision to send Roe back to the states. And the, the celebration of many within the pro-life movement, or all within the pro-life movement and within the Christian community, and then the, 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 the disdain initially and certainly the, uh, the, the anger that, that is going to be coming forth uh, from the pro-choice uh, community. So, so, so there, are, there are forces at work. And so that's in the back, yes, that's in the backdrop, it's here. It's not all that I'm going to minister in the context of today, but I'm not going to pretend that that's not a driving force. But I want to show you something here. In the fourth verse, it speaks, this is after Paul and Silas were, or Paul and Barnabas are with a group in, at Antioch, where the, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, where the Spirit of God, after they fasted and prayed, said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work wherein I and called them. So once again, with fasting and prayer, they are launched in what's known as Paul's first missionary journey. And so we pick it up in the fourth verse, and it says, So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean Sea that's just a little ways west of what we know as the land of Israel. And so there, when they arrive initially, it says they were at Salamis. Salamis is a city that is on the, uh, on the, on the eastern side, kind of towards the northeastern side of the island. The island itself is about 104, just so you can understand the geography of it for just a moment. The island itself was about 140, is about 140 miles wide, approximately 60 miles north and south. And so they arrive at Salamis on the northeast corner, the city there. And while there, they initially, and this becomes Paul's pattern on his missionary journeys, they typically go to the synagogue. Paul is a Jew. The kingdom of God is being uh, initiated to the Jewish people first. Paul even writes in Romans chapter number 1, to the, the gospel is first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And so with this, we see that uh, Paul begins to minister there. He preaches the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They had John to their minister. Notice, though, here very quickly in the sixth verse. When they'd gone through the isle unto Paphos. Now, there's an interesting dynamic that becomes uh, 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 readily uh, you know, seen to us here in this as we, as we look close at it. And so when they begin to go through the aisle, and obviously as they go, so you got to think about this, they, are, they end up at Paphos. Now Paphos is, again, on the southwestern corner of the island. So they're going to make about a 140-mile journey, perhaps uh, by, by chariot or horseback or by walking. So I don't know the length of time that it would take them to go. I don't know if they're preaching as they go. My presumption is that they are, any opportunity that they can. Now, when they were at Salamis, there was a synagogue. And according to the culture of that time, you had to have at least uh, 10 men for there to be a synagogue. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But as they get to Paphos, there's no real uh, recognition that they are actually in a synagogue. So we don't necessarily know of the Jewish uh, influence there in this particular city. So when they arrived, though, they found a certain sorcerer. Notice the words, a false prophet. But this word stands, these two right here, a Jew. So this is quite a mixed bag in this individual whose name is Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country. We're going to come back to Bar-Jesus, who in a moment he's known as Elimus. So he was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus. He's a prudent man. So now the deputy is a proconsul, and, and he is actually kind of akin to a governor over, this, over the city. So he's under Roman uh, rule. He's, uh, he's, he's placed there by Rome. But the Bible plainly says that he's a prudent man. So he's called for Barnabas. He's heard. So something is happening. He's hearing about the reports of what's taking place with these missionaries, Barnabas and Saul. And he desires to hear the word of God. Are y'all here today? You see what's about to happen. But notice this. Notice this. But Eliamus the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, he withstood them seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. 
So here we have a moment where we've got missionaries, at least two, perhaps more, that are apostolic, sent by the Spirit of God on a journey to take the Word of God to areas, the Gentile world, where the gospel has never been preached. And as they're making their journey, they arrive at a particular city, Paphos, where there is a Roman uh, proconsul who has, uh, who, but he's, even though he's Roman, he is a prudent man. And he's heard about the gospel. He's hearing about reports. Most likely, apostolic signs and wonders have been taking place along the journey, and word is getting out. Now, obviously, he is, this proconsul is familiar with the Jewish people. The Jewish people through the, uh, had scattered long years earlier and were all over the Roman Empire. So he's very familiar, but this man Jesus that they're preaching is new, and they want to hear about this. He wants to hear. And so as, as he sends for Paul and Barnabas to minister to him, then Eliamus, uh, who is a sorcerer, so now I want you to put this together, begins to withstand. So that means that Paul and Barnabas have the Word of God that will give life to Sergius Paulus so that he can hear and know that Jesus Christ came, made and born of a woman, died on the cross for his sins, and that if he will put his faith and his trust in Jesus, then Sergius Paulus can be born again, born into the kingdom of God. And from that position as a Roman he will have great opportunity to share the gospel with others. So let me tell you, that is a a powerful thing when you can have somebody in a seated place of authority in the natural realm that has a genuine conversion and faith in Christ and will use their influence for the good of the kingdom, yes, and also to expand the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, the enemy will not let that moment go unchecked. And so the enemy, but who does he find, the willing vessel that he seeks to find, is a Jew. But in this context, if you read the book of Acts, you know that Paul's greatest enemies were the Judaizers, those that were steeped in Judaism. But Eliamus is not steeped in Judaism. He's a sorcerer, King James English. Other translations say he's a magician. He's one in the actual original language, it means a conjurer. So I want you to think for a moment of time of how far apostate this Jew is. He's a man that's born of the lineage, the natural lineage of Abraham. But he's chosen not to follow the teachings of the Mosaic Law because the Mosaic Law strictly forbids any person that's of Jewish heritage to be involved in the occult at any level. Witches and warlocks and demons and occultism and and soothsaying and black magic But this man has turned his back on the faith of Yahweh. He's turned his back on the Mosaic law. And now he is seeking to prevent Sergius Paulus from hearing the word of God. So let me tell you today, I want you to know that as the light goes forth into the darkened world, the enemy gets agitated. And the enemy resists. And the enemy seeks to withstand. And those forces that you said that you believe in that are just on the other side of the natural realm in which we live immediately launch a counterattack to the gospel that's going forth by using a sorcerer steeped in the dark, the, the, the dark arts. Why would, I, why would I bring this up to you today for just a moment of time? Did you know one of the reasons why I was so stirred in my spirit on Wednesday night to lead our church family first in prayer and then Jason and I to teach is because people, two people in the course of, the, of a couple of days had sent me an article that was posted in Charisma News. Charisma News is a, what, formerly a magazine, now a website uh, that's from the Christian charismatic perspective that sometimes gives you updates that you won't find on Fox News or CNN or any other type of news outlet. And it was about the upcoming decision that was, uh, was released on Friday. So now this is Wednesday when the article that I had read it that, that afternoon. And, and what it was, it was said in the weeks leading up, in the weeks that were leading up to this dis- decision being released, uh, there's a family council, uh, a, a, a Christian organization out of Washington, D.C. that fights for Christian rights in, in the government. Thank God. Come on now, thank God that men and women are fighting for the Christian rights and that represent our values in in government. And so in doing so, though, many of those that work on the staff also go and pray. And everybody's been aware of of this heavy decision that was going to be made. Would the Supreme Court send Roe back to the states where it belongs? And so as a result, 
they were going to the, 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 the Supreme Court to pray. So they've been doing this for years. But in the latter few weeks, as they were getting there, and they would sit, they would set up, and they would put a little place of worship music, and their, their small group, and some of them were even elderly, would begin to intercede. But over the last several weeks, uh, witches and warlocks began to descend upon the Supreme Court. And, and that, that while they would be worshiping, a group in black robes and with images and such, but, but they weren't contented to just sit over on the other side of the street corner. They would get right in the face, move up right beside them, turn their music up loud, scream out all types of obscenities, curse the people that were praying, curse God, curse the name of Jesus, uh, uh, loosing demonic spirits. Let me tell you, church family, we are at war. We're at war in the spirit. But sometimes some of it comes to a, uh, becomes uh, relevant and, and, and is revealed in the natural world. And this is almost exactly what was taking place on a smaller degree back during the days of Paul. When Paul is standing before this uh, Sergius Paulus uh, to, to, to share the gospel. And here's this thought that I want you to see in the 10th verse for just a moment. And this is where the discerning of spirits was necessary because we're going to see it in a moment. We're going to take it from just a broad context and make it as personal as I can in a moment. But I want you to see this. So when Paul is here and he sees this Eliamus seeking to turn away a man whose heart is ready to respond, a man that can be used to influence the entire island of Cyprus with the gospel if he is converted, and the enemy has placed a sorcerer there to turn him away from the faith in the 13th or the 10th verse, Paul responds because Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you out there today? And I told you Wednesday night, and I'm going to tell you one more time, now's the time, unlike any other time in your history, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to live a life that's pleasing to God so that you have the anointing of God upon your life at all times. And so the Bible says in this verse here that he discerns, it doesn't tell us this, but he discerns that this man, Eliamus, is not demonized. He's not under the possession of a demonic spirit. He's a totally yielded vessel. The same way that every minister comes on this platform, before we do, we say, Lord God, fill us with the Holy Spirit that we might be a, a vessel to share the love of Jesus Christ. So Eliamus is one that has yielded himself to demonic powers. He's not possessed against his will. He's yielded himself uh, as a tool of the enemy. And in that moment, you're talking about a battle. You're talking about light versus darkness. Two worlds that are, that are conflicting one with the other. But what I love to see in this moment here, so when Paul addresses him, he addresses him as full of subtlety, out of mischief. He's a child of the devil. He's an enemy of all righteousness, and he's seeking to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Let me tell you, we have a lot of that going on in our country today. And it, what we need, we need men, I'm telling you, in the days ahead, we're going to need especially apostolic leaders, apostolic leaders that are walking in the shadow of the apostles that have the anointing of God upon their life, that they can bind things on earth that will be bound in heaven. That they can, come on, they can loose things in the heaven that will be loosed on the earth. That have the authority to look at that moment of time and say, Sir, can I invite you to First Assembly of God, Mr. Elimus? They're just a nice, wonderful church. If you walk through the doors of their church, they'll have a bag, a visitor bag for you. You might even get a coffee cup if Lexi has her way. We just want to love. No, we need men full of the Holy Ghost that's full of the power of God that can be able to discern and say, You are a wicked tool in the hand of the enemy, but the power of God is going to go forth in the name of Jesus Christ that can respond to the convicting power of the Spirit of God and speak the word with all boldness. And so this man became blind for a season. Now, the, there's no record as far as I know about in history as of other than maybe some legends about what took place with Elimus the sorcerer. He wasn't blind for a lifetime, only for a season in order for him to be moved out of the way so that he could be moved out of the way so that the word of God could go forward. And I pray prayers. You may not like the way I preach. You may not like the way I think, but I pray prayers like that all the time. 
I say, God, in the name of Jesus, those whose hearts are evil, those whose hearts are vile, those who live according to the dictates of the desires of the flesh, God, if they are in seats of government, move them out of the way and give us men and women that have a righteous conviction that will live life according to the convictions of the Word of God because I read in the Word that when the righteous rule, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. And we ought to be groaning in this land because there's a lot of wickedness and wicked people sitting in places of authority. But I'm believing God in the name of Jesus that we're too far in now to turn back. I'm believing that now's the time, if ever there was a time, for the church to be more vigilant and more viable than in any other time in our history. But I'm telling you, you better know who you are in Christ. You better not play around with God. Now's not the time. Now's the time to make sure that you have an authentic faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so that was a work of discerning of spirits. And as I, there's one thing that, oddly enough, well, I'll, I'll skip that. I'll pick that up at a later date and time. So now I want to take you a moment and flip the page for a moment. Because as I prepared my heart to minister this message, I said, God, you know, there's one thing that I, I have uh, been a little bit of a critic of. I'll be honest. I've been a little bit of a critic that I, when I have often seen in the church, especially the charismatic Pentecostal church, an overemphasis on demonology. And everything's on the devil. And people don't have to bear any personal responsibility. And that bothers me. And so, but at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm not letting go of principles of faith that I don't know are deeply, uh, uh, that are deeply held in my spirit and that are, that are easily recognizable as you read the Word of God about dealing with the, the powers of darkness. Did you know that what we believe here, just very quickly, if, I can, if you'll allow me just a moment of time to put this in a context. When I say we, typically this is the context of the, of the, the Spirit-filled movement and the Pentecostal and Assemblies of God. We believe that at some point in time, at some point in time in the ageless past, that there was rebellion in heaven, that there was an anointed angel, an archangel that was given the opportunity to lead worship before God. But somehow, some way, something developed in him that he wanted to be worshipped. He saw the host of heaven, perhaps, worshipping. And, and worshipping, the entirety of all heaven, worshipping the one true God, which is the only true God. Come on, somebody. And he sought, to, he sought to, uh, to lift his throne above the stars of God. He sought to, to, to take that worship for himself. And the Bible says he was cast out of heaven. And, and so it's very possible that we see that casting out of heaven in the Genesis when he then enters in and begins to deceive Adam and Eve. So what, what we believe is, very quickly, that we have these worlds and these dimensions. You have the spirit world where you have angels, and now we have devils. In the original, you didn't have angels and devils. You just had angels. But because we have fallen angels, we now can call them devils. And that's debated theologically, and there are little different nuances to it, but that's kind of just the core. But what we also see is that we see on earth uh, that when God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul, God placed him in the garden. And in that garden, God gave him dominion. God gave, he was made in the likeness and the image of God. And God gave him dominion over the entirety of the earth. But through subtlety, once again, the enemy came in and deceived Eve and Adam willfully transgressed against the revealed will of God. And when they did so, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world and death by sin, man was driven eastward out of that garden that was called Eden. And he thereby lost his dominion in that context. And so in essence, Satan then gained or Lucifer or the fallen angel gained dominion in that sense over the earth. And for 4,000 years, men and women were held in blindness and darkness and idolatries were formed. And people thought they wanted to worship God, but the enemy would seduce the minds of men and they would hew out wood, hew out and they didn't know anything. They knew there, there were spirits, but they didn't know how to deal with spirits. They weren't in dominion any longer until the fullness of time was come and a man named Jesus was born of a virgin called Mary. And when he came, he began to unveil to us things that had been hidden for thousands of years. And he began, the, one of the very first things that happened to him is when Jesus went into a synagogue at Capernaum. He's just freshly anointed of the Spirit of God. He's fasting 
fasted for 40 days. And for 40 days, he withstood the attacks of the enemy. And, and, and he rejected his temptation. He came out of the wilderness, weak in the flesh, but filled with the Holy Spirit. And he goes down to Capernaum. And while in Capernaum, in the synagogue, a man began to exhibit and began to show forth that he was demonized. That man had been in the synagogue many times, Saturday after Saturday, Sabbath after Sabbath. But only when the anointing was present, only when the power of God was present, would he begin to be agitated to the degree that he had to reveal himself. And so once that Jesus was there and the anointing of God was upon his life, the man began to display... uh, the, the, and, and began to show this de- demonic behavior. And Jesus at that time lifted up his voice uh, for the first time in 4,000 years before the fall of Adam. A man was now in the earth that had authority. He had his feet placed solidly upon the ground that God had given to uh, Adam, and he was going to exercise the authority that God had given him. And he lifted up his voice and he spoke to the demonic, and he did not ask it to leave. He didn't medicate it. He didn't send him to the therapist. He didn't send him to the counselor. He lifted his voice up and he commanded the spirit to go by the power and the authority delivered unto him and the people wondered because the devil left him that man Jesus that he's the star of the show he always has been and he's always will be and so Jesus Jesus for three and a half years if you read and follow the scriptures so much of his ministry was dealing with demonic powers things that were hidden for years The lives of people, curses, sicknesses, are y'all here? Bondages began to be exposed, and Jesus would drive them out. The Scripture speaks about Satan in this language. It says that the devil will tempt you. Scripture says the devil will seek to get an advantage of you. Scripture says he will use devices, schemes, plans, and he can transform himself even into an angel of light. That's why you've got to test the spirits. And that's why you better know the Word of God. Are y'all hearing me today? It's time for you to be a student. If you have never been a student previously of the Word of God, get off of Facebook and get your face in the right book, and then you'll be aware of what's going on in Jesus' name. I hope you don't think I'm angry today, but I am stirred up in my spirit. I'm stirred up because now's the time, church, when the hour's at hand. I'm going to be honest, I texted my six children and, and beyond this week, and I don't use language like this, but, but, but I, said, I said, walk with your head on a swivel, be vigilant, because we are at war. Because demonic powers are at work, and they will use any veil, uh, viable vessel, and they don't care, uh, it doesn't, they come to steal, kill, and to destroy, that's what Jesus said. And so we've got to be vigilant. And so we, we read about in the Scripture that the enemy has depths. The words, the depths of Satan are used. The Scripture speaks about driven of the devil, the wiles of the devil, the condemnation of the devil, the snare of the devil. And the enemy himself walks about seeking whom he may devour. He does. And so we as believers in Christ, we say, Father God, I pray that I walk in the anointing of the Lord, that I can destroy the works of the devil the way that Jesus did. And so, I want to think for just a moment, because I'm going to take you to this text in Acts chapter number 16. You say, how can and how did Jesus have authority and power over devils? He, he, he had authority and power over devils because, because he walked in obedience to the Word of God. You're not going to have power over the devil if you walk in disobedience to the Word of God. You can sc- cry and scream, and you can lift up your voice all you want to. But if you're not walking in obedience to the revealed word and will of God for your life, then all you're doing is giving the enemy a stronghold in your life. And so we as believers, if we're going to walk in the dominion and the authority that God has given us, I'll tell you first and foremost, you better be born again. And you better know that you're genuinely born again. You better know that you better have an experience with God that no one can take away from you. That your, that your faith is not just a, a, a religious emotional experience. It's not just a religious traditional experience. But you can say with all sincerity of heart, I know him. That when I prayed a simple prayer of repentance of sin, that he sent his spirit into my heart. And I cried, Abba, Father, and now I'm a child of the Most High God. And I know by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit 
If you're going to walk in the anointing of God upon your life and do the works that Jesus did, then you've got to begin to hide the word in your heart so that you will not sin against the Lord and that you will make decisions that are pleasing to Him. And when He illuminates something about your life, you're quick to respond immediately. Thirdly, if you're going to walk in victory over the enemy, let me tell you, you've got to give, you give the devil no place. Listen, a lot of people give the enemy place in their lives. Through, uh, through illicit living and, and, and through wickedness. I'm telling you, we live in a generation, the enemy needs a conduit. Our phones can be a conduit. Movies can be a conduit. Music can be a conduit. I know people like, oh, Pastor Brown, you're one of those old line preachers talking about, yes, I am in Jesus' name. I'm telling you the things that are made today that you can sit on at home and turn on Netflix is nothing more than a medium for the enemy to gain access to your life, to your house, and to your household. And we will come to, and you're wondering why your children are going through some of the things that you're going through. You check what you're bringing into your house. You check what's coming in. Guard your home. Be more guarded than ever before because the enemy is stirred up right now. And we've got to say, God, I'm going to give him no place in my life in Jesus' name. And the fourth thing I'd, I'd encourage you in this is you've got to believe in the authority of the name of Jesus. I thank God for the name of Jesus today. I thank God that God conferred the authority that he vested in Christ when he was here on the earth in his name. And so listen, you say, how do I have victory over the devil? Well, number one, again, let me say this real quickly. If you are born again, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're walking in obedience to the Word of God, and you are speaking the authority of the name of Jesus, then the enemy, I want to say this carefully because I don't want this to sound heretical, the enemy can perceive you as Christ. Let me say it correctly. Not that you are, not in any capacity, but you're walking in His anointing. You're covered with His righteousness. You're walking in obedience to His Word. And when you command Him to go, I don't say, in the name of Lee Brown, go. I don't say, in the name of Carol Brown, my dad, go. But I lift my voice up and say, in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, the name that God converted all authority to, I command you to go, and the enemy has to flee. Glory to God. And so that's what I mean. I hope that's not heresy. I don't think it is. If it is, I'll, 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 I'll repent of it later. And I'll repent of it right now if it is. But it's not heresy. That's the truth of the gospel. If you walk in righteousness, you're born again, you're covered by the anointing, you're doing what he said he wanted you to do. So with this, let's turn to Acts chapter 16 for a moment, because I want to share this with you here today. For just a moment of time. Now we're on Paul's second missionary journey. Barnabas is no longer his traveling partner, Silas is with him. Are y'all here today? Stay with me for just a few moments. I've got to make this more personal even than it is here in just a moment of time because I want you to see some things. But because history repeats itself, cycles, things repeat, the, repeat themselves, and, and it behooves us to notice. And Jesus himself even said it. Jesus said you can, discern this, you can discern the sky. He said if it's, you know, sunny on this particular time, say, well, the next day the weather's going to be like this. Or if the sky's like this one day, say, well, we might get rain the next day. He said, but you can't discern the times. You can't discern the time. So we look at things that are happening, and that should show us and say, God, help us to see some things, some cyclic things. So Paul's new missionary traveling partner is Silas. And so now as they begin to make a journey, here's a particular, it's a, it's a tremendous passage of Scripture. I think I've given them the 16th verse. But I'm going to kind of lead into the backdrop of it for just a moment. So Paul now is traveling with Silas and and they are ministering the gospel. The scripture in the earlier passages here said that they're going around from some of the same places that Paul, excuse me, Paul had previously visited. And as they go there, they're ordaining elders in every city. And they're ministering, they're strengthening the churches. But they're in a constant state of seeking to take the gospel where the gospel had previously never been preached. Paul's a foundational apostle. He, his desire, if you read Romans chapter 15, he longs to preach Christ where he's never been named. What boldness Paul shows. And so he's searched. How many of you know that 
even apostolic leaders had to search for the will of God. So don't, don't, don't cause yourself to feel diminished in God's eyes when you're saying, man, I'm just searching for God's will. Sometimes you have to search for many weeks before you get clarity, direction. So Paul is searching and praying. And if you read that passage prior to these verses, it said that they, they sought to go to a certain city, but the Spirit suffered them not. And then they wanted to go to another city, but the Spirit forbade them from going there. And just looking, and then, you know, when, when, how many of you know when a door closes, sometimes you can get disappointed when you think that's where you ought to go, right? When you think you're saying, I'm going after God, but God's not letting me go this direction. How many of you know God's always orchestrating people's lives who are yielded to him? And so, then finally, the breakthrough came. Remember discerning of spirits? It came through a night in a dream when a man appears to Paul in a dream. He's in Macedonia, which is in southernmost part of Europe. In actuality, this is a historic passage of Scripture because the gospel makes its way for the first time to, to Europe. And so the man is of Macedonia, and he compels Paul. He says, would you come and would you help us? And when Paul wakes up out of the dream, he knows that the Lord has sent them to Macedonia. Sometimes I say, Lord, I would like a dream like that every now and then when I'm really searching for the will of God. And so they immediately make their way to Macedonia. This, I want to put, and they go to the chief city there. And I want to put this in its historical context to the best of my limited education to help you with, to a city called Philippi, from which we later have a book written in the New Testament. Paul writes the book of Philippians. But while there, so this is where I noted again, previously they go to, when they go to Philippi, they don't go, there's no mention of them going to a synagogue. And what that tells us is, is that there were probably less than 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi because it took at least 10 Jewish men for them to have a sanctioned synagogue to meet. So they find, Paul, after a short period of time, finds that there's a small group of what's most likely called Gentile God-fearers. The Gentile God-fearers are meeting along the river. They've been influenced by some measure of Judaism. They believe in Yahweh, but they don't know anything about God. Or, the, or anything about God's revelation of Jesus Christ. And so they're along the river. And so Paul and Silas minister to this group, especially to one particular family, Lydia by name. And through a process of interacting with her, she is converted. She's baptized, most likely in the water there in the river. And then she even constrains them to come into her house where she said, if you have judged me and that the Lord judges me worthy. And so they've got a little hub of which to stay to begin to minister in Philippi. And so when I read up on the history of Philippi, so remember this, this is a, what we call Greco-Roman culture. So that the Roman culture is layered now on top of the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Grecian culture. And if you know anything about that era, there was a pantheon of gods, idolatry, worshiping of all types of gods. But at Philippi was one in particular that we need to make note of for just a moment. The imperial cult was there, Jace. The imperial cult. A group of men and women who believed that the Roman emperor was a living deity. And they worshipped the living deity. That helps you understand later when Paul writes back to the church at Philippi. And he says, there's going to come a day when every knee's going to bow. And there's going to come a day when every tongue's going to confess. Not that the Roman emperor is Lord and Savior, but that Yeshua, the Christ, come on somebody, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Helps you understand that a little bit. So we've got a lot of, bit, a lot of idolatry in various places. And so they're ministering the word. Lydia's converted. God's at work. And they're going to prayer every day back and forth. And that's what the text tells us. And as they're making this journey, this was part of our discussion on Wednesday night. But I want to show you something here today before I begin to wrap this up and take you to a place of close. Because I want you to be, I want you to have victory over the enemy on a personal level. Right? Not just, we don't want to just, I don't want us to just be a part of this global movement of resisting the adversary. But at the same time, you've got to have victory in your house. And there was, a, as they were going back and forth over a period of time, there was a young girl there that was a part, she was a part of some type of occultic activity. I think it says there was a young girl here, she was possessed, it says, by spirit of divination. And she brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So she practiced fortune telling. Today, all you got to do is dial 1-900. 
right? And someone working in that same spirit. Those spirits are still alive today, right? That young girl's passed into eternity, but those spirits are still active. But catch these words. She brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. That's going to be relevant in just a moment of time. And so this she did for many days, I think it says in the 17th verse. Let's follow it on down there, if we will, Lord. She followed Paul and us, and she cried, saying, These men, notice what she said. This is why you've got to have an ear to hear. You've got to be studied. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because as we noted on Wednesday night, what she said was accurate and true. The enemy will manipulate you by giving you a portion of the truth. Deceive you. By giving you a portion of the truth. These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And she did this many days. And we don't know why it was many days that Paul allowed this to continue. Did it take him time to fully discern this? Or was God just setting up something and he withheld something for a particular time? We don't know. But day after day, they make their journey from Lydia's house to the river to share the word. As they pass by perhaps a little booth where this young girl's been practicing soothsaying, making much gain for her masters, when this apostolic band begins to walk past the street, she begins to cry out in a prophetic voice, these men are the servants of the most high God hear what they have to say day after day Paul is grieved and finally he re- that's why you got to know the spirit of God inside you know that the spirit of God a grieving in the spirit that's the work of the spirit of God she's grieved in her spirit or he's grieved in his spirit and finally he arrived at a place and we contrasted Acts 13 and Acts 16 on Wednesday night in Acts 13 he spoke to the man Sometimes you need to speak to the man in dealing with demonic powers. Sometimes there are people under the control of demonic powers. you got to speak directly to them. Oh, child of all the devil, full of subtlety. Paul spoke directly to Limus. But now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks to the spirit that's possessed the young girl. And he commands the spirit to flee. And the Bible says that in that very same hour, the evil spirit came out of that girl. Thank God for deliverance. And did you know your family can be delivered? Did you know your home can be delivered? I thought to myself, and we'll take you somewhere in just a moment. I thought to myself before, how did this young girl get possessed by spirits? Most likely, number one, through idolatry. Number two, very possibly by abuse. It's very possible, number three, that she was trafficked. Come on, somebody. Let me tell you, we live in a traumatized generation where men and women have been, given, have been exposed to so much. Anytime a cut happens, bacteria comes in. Bacteria in the form of demonic powers come in to lodge, to steal. They don't care. They don't care whether you're 99 years old and you're in the nursing home or whether you are five years old and you're in our, our children's church right now. Demonic powers do not care. They come to steal, kill, and to destroy. They're fighting against God by fighting against His creation. And we have authority in Christ to re- Rebuke them in Jesus' name and live a life victorious over the devil. That text shares it. But I wanted to show you something that I thought about farther from where we were at on Wednesday. And then I'm going to close and get out of your way today. Verse number 19. When her master saw... Let's just see if there's something cyclic that happens. When her masters saw the hope of their gains was gone. Catch hold of that. Anytime there's any victory for the kingdom of God in the earth and a particular segment of society loses their financial reward, you will begin to see an agitation from, are y'all hearing me today? So the, the moment that the abortion issue goes back to the states and states, it's possible that in certain states, that financial river will dry up. It's possible to a degree. However, the end result, their masters will see that the hope of their gains was lost. And the immediate, immediate response is they catch Paul and Silas and draw them into it. The immediate is Christian persecution. Get ready. Can I tell you as, with, with a clear conscience, get ready. Because the issues that have become so heavy in America 
today, Christian persecution is not just in Islamic countries anymore. It's right here in these United States. And look what they did. And this is, why, this is how that evil spirit can work. And they brought the, oh, I didn't have them give you these verses. I was, but Lori's following with me. You're doing great. These are beyond the verses I gave you. Keep that up, Lori. And brought them to the magistrates, saying, these men being Jews. See, they didn't know much about Christianity, but they knew that they were Jews. Right? They saw, the Romans saw Christianity as simply a sect within the Jewish community at that early time. But they knew and they believed that being Jews, they were troubling their city because they were teaching customs which were not lawful for them to receive nor to observe being Romans. So what they're saying is, we don't want your Christian convictions dictating decisions that are made at the Supreme Court. You want me to put a modern twist on it for you? There it is right there. We don't want your Christian convictions dictating what gender I get to choose. So there's an agitation. So then the multitude, now, now, we've got, now we've got a riot on the edge of a riot. And the multitude rises up against them. So a host of people come against this small band of Christian worshipers. And look what the magistrates do. The magistrates, without trial, without examination, without inquiry, they, they rend their own clothes, and then they pronounce sentence, and they command to, to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they cast them into prison, charging this jailer to keep them safely. So, Pastor, what, what, is, what, what bearing does that have on me here today? Anytime that, that we see uh, that you begin to, to, to stand against the adversary, whether in your home or whether it's all the way at a, at a, a setting like the Supreme Court, the enemy is going to be agitated, and there's going to be a response, and we've got to be prepared in the name of Jesus. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to share with you, and I didn't give them this text because I'm going to paraphrase and show you a few things of this. This is how you begin to follow through with this for just a moment, and then I'm going to wrap it up here. You said, Pastor, you said that once already. I know. I used to say it three times plus. So in this text of Scripture, to put the final, final touches onto it, you know how you can overcome the enemy is trusting God. Just trust the Lord. You stand when you don't know what to do, you stand, Ephesians 6. Having done all that you know to do, you just square your shoulders back and you stand. Say, I'm, not, I'm just going to trust the Lord. Paul's desire was to take the gospel and to minister the gospel, and he didn't care how it had to happen. Whether in life or in death, he wanted Christ to be glorified. Paul himself by his own mouth said, I may be chained, but the word of God is not chained. If we were to read that text later, we'll find that later that night, while Paul and Silas are stretched out in chains, the enemy may have hurt them and wounded them physically, but he couldn't take their testimony. And while they were tied and where they were, where they were chained against the prison wall, they began to lift up adoration and worship to God. And the prisoners that would have never heard the gospel are hearing the gospel from their mouths as they sing and worship Yahweh God. But thank God it wasn't just the prisoners that heard. There was a God in heaven that looked down upon them, and he heard as well. And there was a shaking. I'm telling you, a shaking can happen if we'll believe God. And chains began to fall off, and those two men were released from their bondages without a key because God opened the door. And they were released, and when they walked out, I'm telling you about, if you read the story, they not, only, not, not only did God preserve them and keep them, but they led the jailer to Christ. And the whole family then came to Christ, and before the morning could rise, they were baptized in water. For a, they had been there all that while, and for a short period, they had only had Lydia in a small group. But now, in one night, when they, God took what the enemy meant for evil, and God turned and worked it and extended the power of the gospel. But you've got to be pliable, and you've got to be willing to flow with wherever God's willing to take you. But lastly, I want to throw this in before I turn this, turn this back to making it personal to you and your family. I want, to, I want to show you this, though, in closing on this side of this story. Afterward, when they're delivered... The magistrates send words to Paul and says, Paul and Silas, y'all can now leave, leave our city. And then Paul said this, nope. He said, you tell them to come down here because they've beaten us openly without trial and we're Romans. So let me say this, this might set the prelude to next week. You better know your rights here 
but you, ought to, you better know your rights as an American citizen because somebody will take advantage of you if you don't know your rights. Come on, somebody. So as I, as I, as I close this message today, what did I bring here today in, this heart, in, in my heart? My, my heart was this, to extend the thought that Jason and I began on Wednesday night to show you there are things at work in the Spirit that's going to need vigilance on your part. That you as a believer in Christ need to be active in spiritual warfare. You, if you've never participated in this, what do you mean by that? It means that in your prayer time you pray. And when you pray you bind demonic powers in Jesus' name. And you pray for the will of God to be done in earth as it is in heaven. And then you live a life that's pleasing to him. I believe that God's word for us here today is to encourage you. And that is to give no place to the devil. Let me tell you, the enemy can come into your life. Let me tell you, I don't like to even preach about the enemy because I don't like to in any ways to glorify him in any capacity, but I want to expose his tactics and tools. The enemy can come in through addiction. He can come in through sexual abuse. Pornography is a, is, is a, is a means that he will gain access to your life in a stronghold. Let me say it one more time. I don't know if you're catching what I'm saying. Pornography is... If you're involved, male or female, you think often we think just with pornography that it's just male. 37% of all those that view pornography are female. Demonic imagery. Those movies that you're watching and you're letting your children watch can be a means for the adversary to get a stronghold in your life. Music. The, 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 going back to the, at the Supreme Court with that, young, that group of, of men and women that had the worship music, they said they, that, that the, the, the witches and warlocks set up a loudspeaker and began to play all kinds of satanic music and they began to flood that in the, in the hearts and minds or, 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 or trying to, to, uh, to counter you know, the, the worship music. Let me just tell you real quickly, fortune-telling. Continual verbal and physical abuse can give place to the adversary. You need to close the door and give no place to the enemy in your life. I told a story here years ago, or recently, but about something that happened years ago, but I left out one part. And I'm, this is my closing here today because I'm closing with, I want to pray for anybody today that says, Pastor, pray with us our family, the enemy. It's one thing for me to be praying about things that are happening globally or, or nationally, but sometimes you can't even see that when there's such a demonic stronghold in your own family. I told you years ago about this story that one time we lived, uh, uh, when, we, when I was a young boy, and we were living out here east of town off of uh, Hiram Road, just off of Hiram Road on Hilton Valley close to the uh, river down there in a little farmhouse that was on the, at that particular time, the year would have been like around 1980 or so, somewhere in there, maybe a little bit later uh, than that. And um, it was on the backside of what was called Roland S. Ranch. It later became Big G Resort, and then it was River Ranch when it closed, that little area there. And it was a little farmhouse that we lived in, and on the back porch, we had that old screen door made of wood on the outside that would close with that long, um, what's the word, word I'm looking for? Spring, that long, yeah, that long spring, that's how it would close. There was no, uh, you know, cylinder up on top with a hydraulic arm of some type pulling that door closed. It was, you swung it open wide. If you got it too far, it would kick back over and it would hang. But if you got it just right, it would come back through and it would slam. And after it slammed enough, it would eventually would get a little bit cockeyed and it would leave a little gap at the bottom of it. And it was in the middle of the summer uh, like, like it is right now. And I, I heard my mom scream, and she screamed, and I ran in there just to look at in time, and just as I did, I could see the last two feet of a black snake as it made its way. It had been coming in through that little gap, that little gap, just like that, and it made its way, and our washing dryer was right there, and it got underneath the dryer. <laughs> and we, we eventually got it out. And thank the Lord. And it was just a black racer, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But I've never forgotten that because that's all the enemy needs. It's just a little bit of a gap. And I wanted to tell this because I've left this part of the story off. I started to, but I didn't want my dad to get mad at me. I wanted to say that I was going to call today's message, Papa, fix the door. <laughs> because later that same year, in the fall of the year, we found a copperhead 
in our house. It wasn't that big a deal when it was a chicken snake, but it's an altogether different thing when a copperhead has made its way into your house. Church family, this is the truth of the gospel. We have to be vigilant and withstand the adversary, lest he steal, kill, and to destroy. And I know that not everybody is so focused on national news like some of us are. But I'm going to tell you, you need victory in your own home. Come on now. Daryl's joining me on the platform today, if he would. And I appreciate him very, very much. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to preach to you the word of God. I believe in the power of the name of Jesus. When I prepared my heart to share this message with you, I said, God, I'm going to do my very best to expose the enemy at whatever level that I can. But at the same time, I do so. I want more than the enemy being exposed. I want Christ to be glorified. I want our emphasis to be on him, his love, his grace, his power, his anointing, his victory over the, over the enemy on the tree, right? The Bible says that had the enemy known, had the princes and principalities known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have known that the moment, and I believe that the enemy, remember, the enemy is what created that moment that sent him to the tree. Now, it was in the sovereign will of God. We know that. But at the same time, the enemy entered into Judas of Iscariot, and he was sold. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. And Satan laughed that day that Jesus was strung out, the son of the living God, suspended between heaven and earth with a crown of thorns upon his brow and seven fountains of blood flowing out. But he did not know. He did not know that when Jesus said, it is finished and gave up the ghost, that, that the adversary's power would be broken. And he would no longer have the authority and the right to keep you in bondage any longer. Come on, somebody. That's the truth that he wants to suppress. That's the truth that he doesn't want you and your family to know. But that's the truth that I came along to share with you. You can have victory through Christ. Through Christ. And the enemy's power can be broken. And you don't have to walk around thinking about the devil all the time in your life. You can have a God-centered thought process. Christ-centric. But you can also be discerning of spirits. And when the spirit inside you is grieved, you'll know. That this is not born of men, but it's born of the evil power of the devil. And you can respond in Jesus' name. Church family, this is real. I, was, I met some wonderful folks in the foyer who were in the military, coming out of the military. And I have three sons in the military, and I was in the military myself. And we've got combat veterans that have been here and a part of our church family. And I was not in combat, but I was a part of the military during the days of Desert Storm and Desert Shield. And, and, and I can remember that heightened, Dylan, I can remember that heightened awareness. Everything, everything had to change. Everything, because we were suddenly at war. There's a war, church family. There's a war that's going on. The war's not just in Ukraine. The war's not just at the Supreme Court. The war's in the heavens, right? And then the war sometimes can be right in your own home. I mean, you got to know who you are in Christ and the authority that God's given you to be able to exercise the dominion that you have in Christ. Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed for just a few moments today. I feel the Lord in this house today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name today. In Jesus' name. Spirit of the living God, I need you today, Father. I need you today to help us, to help us to minister to any and to any person here today. I want to first, as our heads bowed for a moment of time, I want to give you an opportunity. And I don't do this because I just do this so that you can have just a private moment of contemplation. I want to give you an opportunity if you're here today and you say, Pastor Brown, as you've ministered and you've told me about this man, Jesus, I'm kind of like Sergius Paulus all the way in that Acts chapter number 3. I'm, I feel like I'm being drawn to the Lord. I feel like, but there's a lot of things trying to hinder me. But, Pastor, if you would pray with me today and pray for me, I'd like to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want you to know, before I came to this church, I was binding the enemy, binding him, saying you have no place in this room, you have no place in the, the people, so that the gospel, the word of God, could go forth. And somebody, somebody here, somebody here could make a decision for Christ. Somebody could make a decision. I want you to know, don't be ashamed of making that decision. You're going to decide one way or the other at some point in time in life. You're either going to, you're going to announce him as Lord and Savior of your life right now, or it's going to be an eternity, and it might be too late in that particular moment for you. But you will still confess him as Lord. Every knee is going to bow. 
Every person's going to confess that Jesus is the Lord. But I want to give you the opportunity to make that confession today where you can have life through his name. Alicia started the service out with choose life. If you choose Jesus, you're choosing life. Did y'all hear me say that today? If you choose Jesus, you're choosing life. Are you here today? And if that's you, say, Pastor, would you pray with me today? I'll pray with you right where you are. Is there anyone here today that says, Pastor Ron, thank you. I see that hand today. I'm going to pray. Is there anyone else? Thank you for that hand today. Two people, three people raise their hand today to say, I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. That's exciting today, church family. Well, I want to pray a prayer with those three individuals right where they are today. And I want to ask our church family to pray this prayer with me. And you pray it out loud. Believe it in your heart. The same Apostle Paul that we preached about today to one degree taught us in the book of Romans, chapter number 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, then you shall be saved. So I want to ask you to pray this prayer with me and everyone speak it out loud if you would. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe today that you died on the cross for me, that you were buried, and that you were raised again. And today, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. From this day forward, I will follow you for you're my Lord and you're my Savior in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen. Let's put our hands together, church family, for three people made a decision. But now, but now I'm going to ask every one of you to stand up with me today. And I want to ask, I want to do a two-fold layer, a two-fold layer of prayer in closing today. Number one, if you say, Pastor Brown, there have been some things in my family, some things that I've been dealing with that I'm just going to believe that they are truly, there's, there's, I just, I, as, I, as you preach today, the light bulb clicked on. And, and it's a stronghold, it's a demonic attack at some level. Then, and you say, Pastor, I would like you and the pastors of this church to pray with me. I want to ask you to come forward right here and stand at the front of this church. And you say, Pastor, that's a lot of courage. Absolutely, it takes courage in warfare. It takes courage in warfare. If that's you, come to the front right now. Anyone else, just come on. I'll pray with you today in Jesus' name. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll bind the enemy. We'll give no place to the adversary today in Jesus' name. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll trust God. We'll stand on the authority of the Word of God. And then secondly today, I want to ask for a few moments if I can create a second layer, a second layer of men and women that would just come along. If you can, if we run out of room, that's absolutely fine. But if you can, for a few moments before you leave today, and maybe we'll get somebody to come and lead that prayer in a moment, that somebody will just pray. Say, God, that you're just praying. You're praying against the darkness. Come on, that somebody would just say, as I, whether it be at the national level, whether it be in the White House or the Supreme Court or the mayor's office, right, well, in government, but in, not only in government, but in culture. Come on, that just for a few moments say, Pastor, I, I don't need you to pray with me about, but, but I want to be, an, in, what I'm saying is, if you will take a few minutes to intercede, to bind the devil, to give the enemy no place, in Jesus' name, then I would appreciate it. And if you are here today, and while we're praying for these that are down front, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to pray that the Spirit of God would be upon them and the anointing of God would rest on us as we minister to them in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we're praying today. Believing God, believing the Lord, believing the Lord, believing the Lord today in Jesus' name. God, today I'm believing God today, according to the word of faith. Come on, church, let's pray and let's put our faith in agreement today.